Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. At this time we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are preschool age up through third grade, you can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, we are making our way through a sermon series that we're calling The Gospel According to David. This is our penultimate sermon, which means that we have one more to go next week. And then we'll be starting a sermon on the book of Galatians as we look at the basics and foundations of our gospel faith. But for now, we turn our attention to the life of David, a man after God's own heart. Picking up our reading at 2 Samuel chapter 23, we'll read verses 8 through 17. This is God's word. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, a Tachamonite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Elohai. He was with David when they defeated the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, and there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it. And struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave at Adalam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would make us strong. We pray that it would make us bold and confident. We pray, Lord, that it would soften our hearts and make us merciful. We pray, Lord God, that we too would be attentive to the voice of the King. Shape us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This picture on the screen, which is a picture of my friend Charles Coolidge. He was born on August 21st, 1921, on Signal Mountain, Tennessee. He was a hero. He was a Presbyterian. When we lived in Chattanooga, he was a member of our church, First Presbyterian Church of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He died on Tuesday at the age of 99. 
At the time of his death, he was the oldest living recipient of the Medal of Honor and the last to fight in in the European theater of World War II. On on October 24, 1944, when Coolidge was just a 23-year-old tech sergeant, he was commanded to take and hold Hill 623, 100 miles from the German border. Now, initially, Coolidge and his men met very little resistance as they took the hill, but once they found themselves on top of that hill, they found themselves surrounded and outnumbered by a vastly superior, numerically superior, German force. Coolidge, seeing that he was outnumbered and outmanned, did what any self-respecting young man from Signal Mountain, Tennessee would do. He asked the Germans in German if they would like to surrender. (laughs) They refused, and for the next four days, Coolidge and his men held that hill. After the fourth day of fighting, a German tank commander opened the turret on his tank, raised his head up, and asked Coolidge in perfect English if he and his men would like to give up. And Coolidge replied, I'm sorry, Mac. You're going to have to come get me. That, by the time the fighting was done, Coolidge and his men had killed 26 German soldiers and wounded another 60 It turns out that 86 Nazis armed with two tanks were no match for 30 American GIs led by one Presbyterian. (laughs) From Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Charles Coolidge was a hero. He was strong. He was courageous, he was selfless, he was compassionate. As a man of war, he would do anything for his men. As a man of faith, he would do anything for his God. What does it take to be a hero? Are you a hero? Would you describe yourself as a hero? Are heroes born Are heroes made? Can anyone be a hero? Do you have to have a heart of gold? Do you have to have nerves of steel? Do you have to be selfless? Do you have to be willing to lay down your life for your friends? This morning we're going to talk about David and his mighty men. They were everything that Charles Coolidge was. They were bold, they were courageous, they were faithful. They were kind, they were compassionate, they were humble. In many ways, David's mighty men show us how to live. They were living, breathing examples of what it means to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. If you're here this morning wondering... How do I become a a faithful wife? How do I become a faithful husband? How do I become a faithful person who honors and glorifies God? Well, look no further. It's all right here. But let me challenge you. Let me challenge you to look deeper. Let me challenge you to look beyond these mighty men and women of God because the danger of that approach, that moralistic approach, is that it doesn't go far enough. It stops short of what this story is ultimately really all about. 
See, if you look at this story and you say to yourself, I need to be a mighty man. I need to be a mighty woman. Then this story will taunt you. It will accuse you. It will wag its finger at you because no one can live this way all the time. I love Charles Coolidge. Charles Coolidge was a great man, but Charles Coolidge was not a perfect man. Yes, certainly in World War II, he lived maybe the best four days anyone has ever lived. During those four days, you would be hard-pressed to find a single fault with him, but he didn't live that way all the time. We were not close friends, but I was one of his pastors for five years, and I remember that he closed his eyes and confessed his sin in worship just like the rest of us. The Bible says that we all fall sin and fall short of the glory of God. Even mighty men, even mighty women, even Charles Coolidge, even King David, he would be the first to tell you that. But if, on the other hand, if you look at this story and you see Jesus, if you see that Jesus was courageous for you, if you see Jesus running in to the fiercest part of the battle for you, if you see Jesus not symbolically but literally pouring his blood out on the ground so that you could taste living water, water of heaven, water from home. And if knowing that, because he did, there is now no condemnation for you. His victory is your victory. If you see that, it will comfort you. It will inspire you. It will inspire you and empower you to live a life of greatness. This is the story of David and his mighty men. So where do we begin? Well, first what we're going to do is we're going to look at the exploits of David's mighty men. And then, secondly, we're going to look at the exploits of God's mighty man. David's mighty men will show us how to live for Jesus. And David's mighty man shows us how Jesus lived and died for us. These are great stories. They're war stories. They're gospel stories. Let's take a closer look. We begin with David's mighty men who show us how to live for Jesus. Now, before we dive into the details of all these men and their different stories, I want to remind you that not everything in these stories is directly applicable to us. David's mighty men were Israelite soldiers who lived 3,000 years ago in a very different time. They were warriors who had a divine calling to defend their nation. It was because of their unique role as soldiers in the army of God that these stories are handed down to us. It was because of their unique role as soldiers in the army of God that they fought and killed many, many people. Because these men were fighting in God's armies, these stories are not meant to glorify violence. They're meant to glorify faithfulness. These soldiers weren't trying to take over the world for the glory of David. They were defending the kingdom for the glory of God. They were fighting the fight of faith. So how do they do it? 
how do we fight the fight of faith? Well, the first thing we see is that David's mighty men were strong. Verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, Atakamonite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. In this case, physical strength is in view. Josheb killed 800 men with his physical strength fighting all by himself, but throughout the Bible we are told that God wants us to have spiritual strength. Physical weakness in the Bible's storytelling can actually be a good thing. Remember the story of David and Goliath. But spiritual weakness is never a good thing. In Ephesians 6 verse 10, Paul urges us, be strong in the Lord and the strength of of his might and so the question is how do we do that how do we become strong in the lord i'm glad you asked now there are many ways that you can be strong in the lord throughout church history we have called these the spiritual disciplines and there are many books about spiritual disciplines and those are all valuable but i think the best way to go to grow strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is to go where the Lord is. To take ourselves physically and spiritually to the places where God has promised to meet his people. If we want to be strong Christians, mighty men, mighty women of faith, like Josheb, we should go to church. We should read the Bible. We should pray. We should listen to sermons. We should come to the Lord's table together. We should be baptized. We should baptize our children. We need that vertical connection to God. We should also be part of Christian community. We should join a life group. We should make Christian friends. The Bible says that there are strength in numbers. That's why we need the church That's why we need Christian community. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. And what it means by that is that we need Christian friends who will hold us accountable. We need Christian mentors who will teach us and show us the path of life. It's all very important. We need that horizontal connection to one another if we're going to grow in strength in our faith. Strong Christians also reach out to lost and hurting people we should share the gospel of jesus christ the good news of jesus and his grace which he has lavished upon sinners with those who are lost we should share the love of jesus in practical ways with people who are hurting paul who is one of the strongest christians who has ever lived explained it this way in first timothy chapter three he writes for those who serve well Those who serve gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All this echoes what we read in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of God's enemies. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you david's mighty men and men were strong david david's mighty men 
and women are strong in the Lord. Now, the second thing we see is that David, David's mighty men were indefatigable. Now, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked because it's one of my favorite words. Literally, it means unable to be fatigued. Someone who is indefatigable never gives up. Someone who is indefatigable never quits. Someone who is indefatigable always finishes what he or she starts. Look with me at verse 10. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Eleazar would not stop fighting. He wouldn't quit until the victory was won. At the end of the battle, they literally had to pry his hand off of his sword because he'd gripped it so tight for so long, he would not quit. Christians, God is calling us to be diligent. God is calling us to be faithful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Did Paul get discouraged by this? Of course he did. He was a human being. He wasn't a robot. He had flesh and, and bones and emotions. But did he ever quit? The answer is no. He never gave in. The work was hard, but Paul was indefatigable. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. My friends, life can be discouraging. I know many of you have heavy, heavy burdens to bear. Physical burdens of health, emotional burdens, spiritual burdens of guilt and shame. But do not give up on God. Do not give up on other people. Do not give up on the church. Do not give up on the world that our Lord God has created. Keep working. Keep fighting. And know that when the battle is done, Jesus will be victorious. That's the message of the word. Jesus will fight and Jesus will win. Indefatigable. Now, the third thing we see is that David's mighty men were valiant. Someone who is valiant uses their strength in the service of the weak. Someone who is valiant fights for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. Think Robin Hood. Think Jack Reacher. Think Boaz from the story of Boaz and Ruth. Someone who literally spent his fortune to redeem a poor Moabite widow. Someone who is from the wrong social class. Someone who is from the wrong racial group. Someone who, until she came to faith, had the wrong religion. 
verse 11. And next to him was Shema, the son of Agi the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. At this point in the story, the Israelites were weak. They were vulnerable. There was an Israelite village that had a plot of lentils in the middle of the, of the village, and it was harvest time, meaning that this was their food for the entire year. If the Philistines captured this field, the people would have been impoverished. They would have hungry, been hungry. Many of them surely would have died. Shammah defended the field. Shammah took his place among the weak and the vulnerable. He defended people who couldn't defend themselves. As God's people, as Christian people, God is calling on us to do the same thing. Our people are not the rich and the powerful and the influential. Our people are the poor and the marginalized and the weak. In Psalm chapter 82, we read, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. As Christian people, we stand with the poor and the marginalized because that's what God did for us. When we were poor, when we were marginalized, when we were weak, Jesus redeemed us. Jesus fought for us. As you read the story of Shema taking his stand in the battlefield, I want you to picture Jesus fighting for you. The hounds of hell are surrounding him, breathing threats against him like jackals, and there he stands our hero, the king, armed with his sword, fighting the battle until the last enemy is vanquished, until the battle is won. Fighting not only for himself, but fighting for you. The Lord our God is valiant. He takes his stand with the weak. The fourth thing we see is that David's mighty men are obedient. Verse 15 and David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Notice that David didn't ask these three men to get him water from the well at Bethlehem. That's the point. He didn't have to ask. They were so attuned to David's heart. They loved him so much that they went willingly and cheerfully before David asked, risking their lives to bring joy to the king. This is one of the major differences between a religious person and a Christian person. On the surface, religious people and Christian people look a lot the same. We have the same law, we obey the law, we keep the commandments, but we do so for very, very different reasons. 
Religious people say, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? What must I do to secure the favor of the king? Maybe if I get the water, the king will approve of me. Maybe if I get the water, the king will love for me. And often, as religious people, and we all have a little bit of a religious person somewhere deep inside of us, which is why we confess our sins every week, we say, not only what must I do, we say, what's the bare minimum that I can do? How can I just skirt into heaven at the last minute, maybe on my deathbed, or you know, what's the least obedience I can do? How close to the line can I get? A Christian approach to obedience is a very, very different thing. A Christian says, what can I do? What can I give? Where can I go to bring joy and honor to my king? Do you see the difference? For a religious person, obedience is a duty. For a Christian person, obedience is a delight. And so I ask you, mighty men and mighty women of faith, Is obedience your duty, or is it your delight? If obedience is your duty, you will hear David longing for water, and you'll say, boy, yeah, that would be great. I wish someone would go get him water from the gate of Bethlehem. I wish someone else would fill out the missions card. I wish someone else would go. I wish someone else will serve. Not me. I've done enough. But if your obedience is a delight, you'll go to Bethlehem. You'll risk everything. You'll go and you'll give and you'll serve and you'll obey. Not because you have to. Because you want to. Because you love the king. Mighty men and mighty women of faith are obedient. The fifth thing we see is that David's mighty men were humble. Look at verse 16. But David would not drink the water that they brought back from Bethlehem. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink of it. Do you hear what David is saying? He's saying, I am not worthy of this. I am not worthy of this gift. I do not deserve this water. This water represents the blood and the sweat and the tears of my men, my mighty men, fought through hundreds of Philistine warriors uphill. Do you know the gates of Bethlehem were up a hill? They fought up a hill. Then one man lowered the basket into the well while the two men guarded him. They took the water and then they fought their way back down, back to the caves at Adjumam. And David is saying, only God is worthy of this gift. Only God is worthy of these men's sacrifice. And so David poured the water out as a sacrifice to the Lord. This is not ingratitude. He's not saying, this water means nothing to me. This is gratitude. He's saying, this water means everything to me. And because it's so valuable, because it costs so much, I must give this gift to the Lord. David recognized that this water, this living water, was a gift from God. David's mighty men could not have won this victory unless God was with them. 
They could not have drawn water from the well unless the Lord gave them victory. And so David, the humble king, gave glory to God. Do you, mighty men and women of faith, as you see the blessings that God has given you, do you reflexively give glory to God? Do you look at your house or your apartment or the place where you live and say, I thank God for this. This is a gift from the Lord. Do you look at your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandparents, your grandchildren, and do you say, this family is a gift from God? Do you look at your gifts and your talents and your abilities? Do you look at your beauty and your humor and your athleticism? But enough about me. And say, I glorify God for all of these gifts that He has given me. Truly, these are gifts from the hand of God. That is humility. David was a humble king. And he infused that same sense of humility in his mighty men. That leads us, last of all, to God's mighty man, Jesus Christ. You know, as I was reading the story of Charles Coolidge and as I was reading the story of David and his mighty men, I discovered something very, very important. I discovered that all mighty men and all mighty women, all heroes, are motivated by something bigger than themselves, by some sense of beauty or honor or integrity, something transcendent, something glorious. If you ever read the story of Charles Coolidge and his exploits on the battlefield, you will see that Charles Coolidge was motivated by love, love for his men. When he was asked later by a reporter why he fought as hard as he did for four days in the cold and the rain, outnumbered tanks shooting rounds at them, he said, I would do anything for my men. He said, I, he said, I, I know they're, they're, they're Uncle Sam's men, they're God's men, but they were my men, and I would do anything for them. King David and his mighty men were motivated by love as well. David, by love for God, his mighty men, motivated by love for the king. As Christians, we are motivated by God's love. We are motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are motivated by God's mighty man, Jesus. Notice how Jesus is the ultimate mighty man of God. Notice how Jesus fulfills all the requirements of mighty men and women of faith. Jesus is strong. Jesus spoke the world into existence. There has never been and will never be someone who was as strong as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is indefatigable. Jesus will never give up on his church. Jesus will never give up on you. Jesus is valiant. He came to preach good news to the poor. He took his stand among the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. Jesus was obedient. He obeyed his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, all the days of his life. He obeyed his heavenly Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was humble. He came not to be served, but to serve. 
He came to lay down his life for his church, his bride, the people of God. He was literally born to die. On the cross, Jesus did not merely risk his life for you as the the mighty men risked their lives for King David. He gave his life for you. His blood was not symbolically poured out on the ground. His blood was literally poured out on the ground as blood dripped from his hands and his feet, as a spear pierced his side, pouring out blood and water upon the ground. Jesus bled and died so that we might drink the living water, the water of salvation, water that comes from our Bethlehem, our heavenly home, the home that we long for every day of our lives here on earth. If you understand that Jesus has done this for you, if you understand that Jesus is the ultimate mighty man, then you will gladly go and you will gladly serve and you will gladly pour out your life as a sacrifice to God. You will live for His glory. You will live for His joy. If you see His sacrifice, if you see His grace, then you will do anything for Him. Great heroes, spiritual heroes, aren't born. They're born again. They're made in the cave. They're made on the battlefield. They're motivated by the love of Jesus who on the cross laid down his life for his friends. Let's go to God in prayer. Our great and mighty God, hero of heroes, we ask that you would be near to us by the power of your Spirit We ask, Lord, that you would shape us and mold us into mighty men and mighty women of God. May we willingly and joyfully lay down our lives for the treasure and the reward of seeing you smile. Hear our prayer, Lord God, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen.